You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I'm a fan of tradition and history. I have to admit, I don't like being uh, beholden to it. I don't want it to control me and tell me what to do, but I like to observe it and use it however I find is useful. So I'm talking about Christian tradition and history, you know, whenever we start talking about that, someone's always telling me how to worship and that kind of like, okay, let me just do what I want. That's, you know, I'm a, I'm a libertarian in that sense, but I like Christian tradition, our, our Christian calendar, and it brings me joy to walk through the liturgical year annually, what we do together in worship at a meeting like this, for example. I love remembering the story Remember, remembering what came before me and how we move together as a body. I came across this image that I wanted to share with you that may help you imagine our journey throughout the year and where it moves us. Because I, I think around here anyway, we don't have a very uh, complete kind of narrative for how the calendar works and how the year works. So most people would say right now, we're in an ordinary time. And I, don't, I, I, I should never say that word again, but that's, they, they, it's, it's out of the liturgical season. I guess we're supposed to be farming or something like that would be probably what happened. And, and so regular things happen, ordinary things happen. But during the, se- during the Christian year, uh, it kind of flows like this. This is from a... Uh, guy named Zach Hicks wrote a book called The Worship Pastor. This is probably the only image I liked in it. So I, I and this is, this is a, a photograph of the, uh, of the book. And he says it starts with Advent and Christmas and Epiphany where we experience the incarnation of God, the manifestation of God in the world through Jesus. And we experience the glory of God among us. God is glorified. It's joyous. There's celebration. Um, we wait, there's that, uh, that, that even line there, right on the, uh, I guess, the, uh, the equator of the chart. And then when Jesus is born and epiphany happens, glory comes. And that glory of God, in a sense, is dampened by death, the gravity of sin and evil in the world. It's kind of like what you experience all the time where you know that there's this greater glory and then bad things happen. Maybe to you, maybe you do bad things, however you see that. Maybe you just look around the world and you see the horror in it and you can see why this, we can really dampen the glory of God. God comes to earth to reveal glory and is killed because evil is so apparent and so enduring. But then resurrection follows Easter into Pentecost where the Spirit descends and then we're more, we're, we're more glorified, we're more elevated when we receive that grace, right? The grandeur of grace is what Zach is saying, overcomes the gravity of sin. I like that pattern, I like that life, right? I like to experience it all the time. That sort of pattern can be helpful to experience annually together as a body. But in a sense, it can, it's experienced daily. 
and weekly too, right? Yeah, there's, there's things that can happen. Even, even, even our, uh, theoretically, our liturgy together tonight can have the same elements, right? Glory, sin, and then uh, grace. That could, that, could be a, that could be a breath prayer. That could be how you think about everything around you, right? That, the, the, the promise of the grandeur and the prevalence of grace may even comfort you in times of distress in your life. Um, your cell might experience this too. Some of you do uh, highs and lows of the week as you begin your cell meeting. Has anyone ever done this before? This could be a similar idea. You could incorporate something similar here. Or may, some of you are familiar with uh, Saint Ignatius. He has a prayer of uh, consolation and desolation. Similar, similar liturgical calendar Christian here put into prayer. Anyway, I'm telling you this mainly to share my love of the Christian calendar and the tradition. As far as I'm concerned, this whole slide is an aside to where I want to go, but I thought it was useful enough to give you an idea about how the year works, why it matters. To me, I like to go through the tradition and, and, and that kind of breath in and out, right? Receiving the glory, exhaling the gravity of sin, and then receiving again grace, forgiveness, new life. And I was reminded of my love of tradition this Ash Wednesday when we went through Ash Wednesday you can see is right after uh, right after uh, Advent and we went I, I went through the liturgy that I've done many times before where this room is really dark we grieve our sins we burn some things in an old <coughs> coffee can that I have and we burn our sins in them and then we move towards repentance and renewal as we as we move in together. It's a very similar tradition, sometimes word for word. It's very, uh, it's very um, redundant. And if you haven't attended one of these, it won't be redundant for you, but I suggest that you do attend it next year. I don't know what, what day Ash Wednesday is next year. But it, well, what date? <laughs> for the date. I don't mind. For what it's worth, heckling is allowed. <laughs> I have a microphone, though. I just want you to know. So there's more. Uh, there's more power up here. So just pick your pick your battles, okay? Um, I because I used to be a peckler, right? When I was a, a civilian. <laughs> I don't even like that language. Sorry. Um, Anyway, during the Ash Wednesday observance, some of you will know this, who have been, who have been doing something with me for a while, I, always, I use the same visual art every year. And I never thought anything of it, really. Um, but those pieces of art became synonymous with the liturgy for me. I came to appreciate them more and more because every year marked, it marked something within me. So it was helpful to see the same thing again, right? I used the, uh, the Return of the Prodigal Son by Rembrandt. This is a, this is a famous painting. Uh, Henry Nouwen, who is beloved around here. He's like a, the, one of the saints of Circle of Hope. He wrote a whole book about, and this is the kind of guy Henry Nouwen is in the time he has. He spent hours and days and like months in front of the painting to be inspired to write a book. Wouldn't you like that job? 
So he, that's what he did, and, and this, this, this painting impacted me, especially during this season of Lent. And we also used The Sower by uh, Van Gogh, too. And a couple more that, that, that made the annual kind of uh, um, liturgy, the tradition. This one right here, Blue Nude by Picasso. This was probably during a mournful part of the liturgy where we were reflecting and writing something negative down on a piece of paper. And then we have, uh, this one's real bizarre. I, it's, so you know, so you know I keep these up. Right, right when we got into the substitutionary atonement, some of you know what that is, where uh, the, the, God, the God the Father is pouring out wrath on Jesus. Here you have uh, um, Saturn devouring his son. By Goya, so there's a, it's it's evocative, right? There's a lot happening there. It's not really supposed to make sense, which is helpful. It's supposed to elicit uh, a feeling in you. And my friend responded and said, "These images have come to mean something for me too, and they mark something in her since we've been observing at Ash Wednesday together for a long time." And I loved experiencing them. I when when we had the. Uh, Observance. I really looked forward to getting to meditate with and pray through using these images. And then I finally realized, this was a revelation this year, I didn't need to wait until... You know what just happened to me? I just want you to know. This is how, this is how my life works. Amazon right now is at my door, and they're calling me to see if I'm home. Even though I'm clearly not home, because like a normal person, if you knock on the door, I open it. So, something's <laughs> happening over in North Philly, and I'm bothered by the whole experience. I don't even know how they busted through my, they must have called me twice. <coughs> Here he is, he's calling again. Wow. Or she, it could be a she, I don't know. Now they're going to get in trouble, because I think they're supposed to meet a quota of packages delivered, and then they get Jeff Bezos, yeah, fires them or something if they don't do it. So, like, now, am I responsible for their job? I don't know. You could have just stopped for a minute, told them, hey, I'm speaking right now. Yeah, but that wouldn't help them. They want me home, my dude. <laughs> I can't. It's not, they don't get any points if he picked up and he wasn't home. What about your neighbor? Well, I mean, I wonder if Alice is home. She could be. Maybe, she, maybe she'll collect it. Anyway, and, and help the Amazon um, contractor. <laughs> anyway, I finally realized this year, it took, it took this long to realize, no, you actually like these paintings. These mean something to you, personally. And even though they're connected to Ash Wednesday, you don't need to wait to Ash Wednesday to uh, appreciate the art. And I didn't need to plaster them up on an oddly lit PowerPoint to remember them. So I bought the prints that I wanted, and I put them in frames because my friend, said, my friend told me, you can't just put tacks in prints <laughs> like you're a freshman in college. So I bought, I bought frames to put the prints in. This is a very adult moment for me. Because I don't even, even think about it. Like, what's the difference? Why do I need this thing for this? Why do we even have frames? You know, these are questions I think about, but I know I'm not supposed to uh, ask. So, so I hung up the prints in my office. And a lot of these right now, Goya's not up there because it's too much. But... <laughs> But the others are, and, and now, and now I can sew with the sewer every day, right? I can mourn 
with the woman in, in blue nude. I can uh, contemplate, and I have, I'll show you this one later. I can contemplate with Nicodemus and Jesus and be tended to have another one of Jesus being tended to in the wilderness by angels, by James Tussauds. Want to go back to this one? Okay, we're going to go too much. We should have done a, a Visio Divino on Saturn. And it helps me experience the world in my life, right? With new color and new energy. And it evokes an emo emotion in me that might otherwise be left dormant inside my body, right? It pulls something out of me. Visual art animates our life with uh, color and emotion, expression, right? It can, be, it can be hyperbolic because it's trying to evoke and elicit something in you, right? It can, it can have uh, strong emotions and messages in it because it's not accountable to you in the same way that, uh, that maybe even written word is. And it breaks us out of the un mundane and unlocks new, th new things within us. And literally, I experienced this as I filled my walls up with art. You know, I take it for granted generally because I married an artist and my, and my children make art all their, all the, uh, during every occasion. Birthday, Christmas, art is always one of the main things that, that they put on their list. And so art is all over my house and has meaning to us. You know, I didn't pick any of it out. I didn't make any of it. I didn't curate any of it. I didn't even pick the paint colors of the walls in my house. I just kind of live in it and receive its benefits without much consideration. I don't even, you know, if you took down a bunch of paintings, I might not even notice that they were gone, right? It takes me, it takes a lot to pull me out of things. Maybe that's why I need the Goya image to be so vivid so I can experience something. Um, and I have to surround myself with this discipline, like I'm saying, because I'm not so tuned to my visual surroundings. I have to be reminded of this all the time. I have to, I have to be reminded, no, you liked the art you've been using for years as a part of the Ash Wednesday liturgy. You like that. Oh, I do. I do like it. I should get this art. So, so someone, someone actually had to help me realize that because it didn't come naturally to me. I didn't understand. I, I didn't, I, that part of my body wasn't, uh, unlocked, opened up, that part of me wasn't. And so I've tried to pay attention to more things like visual art and really getting into observing them and relating to them because it takes time for me to absorb and understand them. Some of you might be the same way, maybe some of you aren't. I'm realizing you can't just speed read through a painting. Because I have a, I have a, someone told me I have a fast processor. So they think I'm a computer, but they, they think I think fast and, and, and pick up things really fast. And I kind of do, and sometimes when I'm excited, even during something like this, I'll go faster and faster, uh, losing everybody in the process because I'm really pumped up about what I'm saying. And I totally, because I am, you are too, and we're just going to start sprinting because that's the energy that I have about whatever I'm talking about. So I can understand ideas and concepts and read fairly quickly. And I have a short attention span, and I get bored easily. And so I understand something, and then I move on quickly. Right? That's kind of how I work. When I'm in a slow-paced classroom, I get exceedingly bored and distracted and rebellious. <laughs> right? that's, that's, that's what happens to me. So when professors have me in a classroom that's 
boring, I start provoking the professor, largely for my own entertainment. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so bad, but you know students like that, probably, it, it, when you were in school. I, I, was the, I still am that person, and so I have to slow down and kind of damn my utilitarianism so I can contemplate and sit and be and exist, right? Even that short period of time when we were looking over that painting, I was like, all right, move us along, Jordan, come on. You know, like, like that's, that's like part of me had that in me, and I'm like, no, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to just, just sit for a moment. There's nothing to do except this right now. <laughs> so meditating with art helps me to do that because it's not just a book with concepts to understand. And I generally gravitate towards nonfiction, right? A novel or a song or a poem would have the same quality too. But unlike those things, visual art is evocative in a seen way, right? You see it. And that's totally different. And it elicits something in us right now. And you don't need to be particularly literate to consume it and absorb it, right? So there's something about that for people that don't read. Or like children who haven't uh, tried learning how to read yet. Something's, something is uh, universal about it. And so this very thing happened in my cell recently. Two of the members, different weeks, brought a piece of visual art to the meeting. One time it was a print they passed around, and another time someone made like a whole PowerPoint presentation for us with art in it. And we passed it around, we observed it, and we shared insight about it. They weren't explicitly religious paintings, like some of the ones I just showed you. But I think art has a, a spiritual quality to it. And so it elicits something more than just uh, the material out of us, something uh, more than just the natural, right? Something supernatural, something metaphysical. And so this is just the point about the theology of cells. The cells themselves have a spiritual quality to them because you have a spiritual quality to yourself. The things you do, the places you inhabit, the spaces you're in are made more holy because you are holy. Right? You are holy because the Spirit of God is resident in you. And God loves you by becoming you. That's the story of Jesus. So you are the locus of God's activity. And the, the, the God is resident in you. That's what the Bible writers mean when they say you're a temple of God. You carry God with you. you know? In this gathered body, we're seeing God in one another. You know, we really to our detriment, as you'll find out, downplay the physical space that we're in. Even though I'm telling you that the art that we make and observe together is holy because we are, so there's something to be said about even the architecture that we're in and the space that we're in reflecting God. This whole idea that um, we, we're repenting of separating the sacred and the secular, as we say, or the... Uh, I guess the, the uh, full of God and the godless, if you will. God is everywhere. God is in, in all things. And thus, the space that we create here is holy because we're holy. That's the idea that, that I want to work with. So in the cell, without having an explicitly Jesus-y painting, we still experience God. And, and the cell leader is pointing where God is too. So dialogue is inherently spiritual and your, and your cell leader is helping you along with that, right? art and prayer and other things that seemingly lack utility 
like the difference between eating together and eating alone, help to unlock something spiritual in us. Its lack of utility is why it's special, right? Because I didn't need an office decorated with paintings. But it does something more when I move beyond just what I need. And I, and I try to touch something more that's seemingly um, non-essential. So I want to try an activity together and see if you can generate some dialogue about it. Let's observe this painting for a moment and then call out the things that you notice about it. Just a few minutes of dialogue because we don't have a lot of time. Um, oh boy, these are all the points I just made. But I'm going to get you the picture because I just said that painting is more important. So this is the citation. You can see, just call out, what are the, uh, what, what, what do you observe in this painting? Some of you know what this means, but try not to focus too much on what, what you think the painting is about and call out some images that you see or what it evokes in you. Just a handful of people, really. you can sit with it. This is just the study of the painting that um, Tanner would eventually paint. And he has a series of these. Um, I think some of them are in Philadelphia. Does anyone know this? At uh, the, uh, the, the Paintbrush Museum? Path. Path, that was. In Broad Street, right? He went there. Hmm? He was there, right? He was a student there. Yeah. Oh. You know, we have a lot of art, art historians among us. Now let's read the passage. And it's based on, is this too small for you to read? Someone, someone out loud, and, and what I want you to do it here is we're adding the text to the painting and we're seeing if the painting isn't illuminated further by, if the text isn't illuminated further by the painting that you observed for a moment. This is the moment, this is the conversation that's happening between Jesus and Nicodemus. Someone out loud, read this. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a womb? Second, can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone. 
You know, just after reflecting on the painting, I'm realizing the absurdity in what Jesus is saying and how it doesn't fit the rules of the world, right? And the painting may do that very same thing for you as you're wondering what exactly does this mean? It's not that clear, you know? It's not that um, definitive. And so perhaps you approach many things in your life with the same kind of openness and mysteriousness, appreciating the little that you can grasp even if you don't fully understand it. Similar to how visual art, meditating on it, contemplating it, can unlock something in us, so can creating it. And I admit this is an area that I'm fairly inexperienced in, since I don't create much visual art. But it does unlock something that might be shackled in your mind and allow you to express yourself in a different way than you might um, have previously. It could be like a form of prayer, even. Maybe it's inconclusive, maybe it's ambiguous, but it, 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 it helps to take something out. For many people, it's a way to approach therapy, too, beyond just talking, right? It brings something out differently in you. Um, not only does visual art help us communicate and process, it can express truths in powerful ways and exceed many other um, forms. You know, we can make a statement that has power and longevity. You can see this with a protest art, political cartoons, things like that. that, 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 the, that the, the, the art itself has potency. Art transcends the intellectual and thus is uh, irrefutable, right, in terms of experience because it's rooted in, a, in an evocative expression. It connects us to something metaphysical, something spiritual, right? I finally got to a place in my faith where I could visually use visual art to deepen myself and connect with God. This recently just happened to the point where I think we should put art on the PowerPoints of the slides when we're singing a song, you know, because it adds a whole different element to it or more art around these, this, this, this barren room here. Um, I grew up in a tradition that didn't value art very much. Some even called it idolatrous, especially if you, if you had a picture of God for some reason, right? Icons that showed God were in violation of this commandment that said, don't make a graven image of God for some reason. Um, so I missed out on that opportunity. Somehow the tradition never articulated that uh, systematic theology, which depicted God in a certain way, wasn't a graven image. It was always when you put art on paper, not when you wrote a book about God. You know, which is interesting that they, that, that they, that they wouldn't come to the same conclusion. Um, nevertheless, that's how I leaned in my faith, right? That's still how I lean, intellectual, cerebral, didactic. But it took some, uh, it took a decade, like I said earlier, almost a decade of doing the same liturgy with the same art to realize, no, there's actually something spiritual and evocative happening that deepens me. It's more than just ideas. It's something that can't quite be expressed because for me, it's using a grammar that I'm not used to. It's using a vocabulary that I'm not used to. So it takes a while for me. It takes some time. It might take some time for you. But maybe together this week, my suggestion is sit with some art. You have access to it in all sorts of ways. Maybe alone, maybe in your cell. Maybe you write about it, pray about it, feel about it. Maybe you can move to freeing yourself to create some art and see what you can experience and learn that way too. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. 
you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at sirgolfhope.net.